We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. We are up to episode 114 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It is the 20th of September, 2017, and a special guest for this episode, Tanya from the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Uh, welcome aboard, and that's very thank much you. Thank you very appropriate. Much. Yes, because... It is. I am those, the captain, after all. Yes, the captain. So for those of you uh, just getting the audio here, Tanya is decked out in her pirate gear with a skull and crossbones in the background. So welcome aboard is very appropriate. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Tanya, what's your uh, official position with the with the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? The with the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster Australia, um, I'm the captain, mm-hmm. and uh, with the actual um, entirety of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, um, I'm just one of the crew. Right. So they're so, two different organisations. So how? Uh, okay, so an Australian branch and just. Yes. A general worldwide branch. Is that exactly. What you're yes. Okay. So, how long have you had your your title as the captain? Um, since uh, two thousand and thirteen. Right. And yes. how'd you get that? Like, was it a? Did you have to lobby hard for that position? It was vacant, so I just took it because we're pirates. <laughs> so you'd been a member for a few years, had you, at that point? Yes. So it's yes, time I to have. step up to the plate and take control of this. Well, thing. there wasn't actually an, an official Australian branch at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided that uh, basically we should make one. Right. And so I appointed myself captain and uh, we have a few other people who are part of the crew. It's a, it's a good way to head up an organisation is just to exactly. start yourself in the first place. Yes. <laughs> So, um, for people who don't know, what's the brief, the brief background of, of the church? Well, um, it really depends on who you ask. Um, many people think that the church has been around forever, but um, it has just been very, very secret for a very long time. But in about 2006, it became quite public uh, when our prophet Bobby Henderson wrote in a letter to the Kansas School Board, um, basically advocating for the fact that um, uh, the Flying Spaghetti Monster should be taught alongside intelligent design and scientifically um, um, tested evolutionary theory in science classes because they were thinking about what they were going to do for their science class curriculums. Yeah, so it was a protest, a satirical sort of protest to crazy religious nutbags trying to introduce intelligent design and creationism in the school curriculum in Kansas. Well, into the scientific curriculum, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it just exploded and went off. Pretty much, yes. Yes, I think so many people at that point in time realised that they'd always been pastafarians their entire (laughs) lives and all of a sudden had a name for it. So, so he came up with it, and and what's the pirate connection? Because I didn't know until recently that there's a pirate sort of connection with the whole rock show. 
Well, basically, um, what Bobby found was that there is a direct correlation between uh, global temperatures and the reduction in the number of pirates in the world. And so since there's that direct correlation, therefore, if we or more of us dress up as pirates all the time, we should be able to correct that <laughs> and bring the global temperatures back down again. Again, it's his satirical argument about correlation does not necessarily mean causation. Exactly. Yeah. I liked. I, I did a little bit of reading on that, and I liked his statement that um, dealing with the upsurge of pirates uh, off the coast of Somalia, and he said it was no coincidence that Somalia was a low-carbon emission country and hence the increase in the number of pirates. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's got, there has to be a direct direct, you know, correlation, causation. You yep. can't beat that. So the idea is poking fun at the ridiculousness of religion and saying, well, if you want to have all of these uh, privileges and laws in favour of your, you know, orthodox religion, then you need to apply the same rules to this religion because as crazy as it sounds, it's just as legitimate as, well, as your Abrahamic faith. It is just as likely that the flying spaghetti monster created the world as any other supernatural explanation. Mm. So for the fun of it, it does have a serious side in trying Absolutely. to sort of get laws changed. Any success in, in that uh, regard? I don't think that, um, well, the Australian branch is not necessarily attempting to get any laws changed or anything like that. We just want to make sure that the law is applied equally. To us, as it is to any other religious organisation. Mm. So you will struggle, though, I think, in Australia because, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but with the um, Scientology case in the High Court, it seemed yeah. to me that they said in that case that to be a religion, you needed some sort of belief in the supernatural Yes. that was beyond Papa. a satirical statement. Well, yeah. it's quite interesting because the, the um, satirical church that um, was put forth in that case was actually an uh, American um, organisation who didn't have a deity. They yes. didn't have any kind of belief system. All they thought that it was just a really good idea to use illegal drugs. And I... so they were basically just trying to... Um, get access to illegal drugs by saying that it was part of their religion. But they didn't have a whole basis of a religion behind it. They didn't have the deity. They didn't have the tenets of behaviours or even an identifiable group that the court case said you require. So I haven't heard of that case. So I was thinking of the Church of Scientology case. So this is a different one. Yeah, um, this this was this was the um, it was an American case. That was the one that they cited in the Church of Scientology case. Right. Okay. So it was a completely situ different situation to what we are. Right, but in the Scientology case in mm. Australia, the Scientologists were claiming a, uh, tax privileges for being a religion, and yeah, or attempting the, to, yeah. and the High Court said that this is a sh a sham, basically. The Scientologists, uh, no, they didn't, they didn't say the Scientologists, the Scientologists won. Yeah, well, yeah, they said essentially, well, in the Victorian Supreme Court, they said this is a sham. You've made yes. this up. You've given all of the accoutrements of a religion and just to try and 
get over the various hurdles to, to look like a religion. Yes. And my understanding is when it went to the High Court, they said, that is the case. It is a sham. But enough of your followers actually believe this, genuinely yeah, they, believe they... it, that in fact you are a religion and you win. Congratulations. That was sort of, yeah, they no. acknowledged the... the um, they not, what they did acknowledge in the High Court case was the fact that the original founder may not have had a genuine belief in what he was saying. In the case of Scientology with mm. Hubbard, he might not have fully believed in what he was um, telling people. Yep. But since that point in time, people had then gone off and fully believed in what Hubbard was saying. And therefore, it had taken on a life of its own as a legitimate religion. Yeah. So your problem in, well, you're not really trying to become registered in any sense as a genuine religion in Australia, or are you? The, the problem with the word registered is there's mm. no such thing in Australia. Yes. There are only certain exemptions that are applied to religious organisations. Yes. Uh, yep. So you can't go to the government and say, I'd like to register my religion, please. Yep. What you can do in Australia is you can go to different government departments and say, I would like this particular religious exemption or that particular religious exemption. Yes. And yeah. then if they apply the law equally, then anything they give to any other religion, they should give to us too. Yep. So are you applying for any privileges as, as um, a religion? As a religion, um, there's nothing that we're actually... Um, some of our members are um, attempting to get um, their driver's licences with their uh, religious headwear on. Mm -hmm. um, they are successful in Victoria. Victoria is fully on board with it. They've issued quite a few licences there. Uh, we had a bit of trouble in New South Wales. <laughs> And with New South Wales, the uh, Minister for uh, the Roads and Maritime Services actually did come out and said that they will be changing their policy to something that's um, not discriminatory because she acknowledged that it's discriminatory right now yes. in the way that it's applied. But unfortunately, we don't know. There's no time uh, limit or time factor being put on when that policy will be changed. So it's just Victoria at the moment where you can wear the colander yes. on your head? Are you in Victoria? Although there have been successes in other states, right. but they haven't been very widely publicised. And, um, yeah, so, you know, we're, we're kind of keeping those under our colander at the moment. <laughs> so are you in Victoria yourself? You no, I'm in South Australia. Okay, so your driver's licence? I did try for one. Right. And I tried one wearing my tricorn, and they decided they um, sent me out a letter saying that um, I appeared like I must be a member of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster and that um, I couldn't wear my religious headwear and that I need to get a new photo taken. Right. The problem was is that uh, for the job that I do, I actually need a driver's license and they refused to issue me with a paper license while I took this to court to appeal their decision. Yep. So that would have left me uh, without a driver's licence and without the ability to do my uh, work. So, yep. 
unfortunately, I had to drop that case. Yeah. So I understand there was a member in New South Wales who was trying to get approval for teaching religious instruction yes. classes as a pastafarian. Yes. And um, what do you know about that? What do I know about that case was that um, it was very interesting because um, he applied under, you know, for the um, special religious instruction and he applied exactly the same as any other religious institution would do, uh, but he got refused. And so he, he took it um, up to the minister. The minister actually said to a journalist that these people will not be um, registered providers in SRE as long as I am minister. Fortunately, that minister's gone now, so we can try again. Right. So that's on the cards? Someone's well, absolutely, yes. Go? Right, right. <coughs> Very good. And, um, and I guess internationally, uh, certainly in the States, it seems like, well, where it all started in Kansas uh, yes. would have been an example where they actually have had an effect and managed to get the law changed in the school system with that science. It's it's not it's not a law. Um, they they run oh. slightly differently. There is um, each school district has a school board, and the school board decides uh, what the curriculum is going to be. Yep. So run, it's a quite a different way of running um, the education system than we have in this country. Yeah, very localised. And yes. the local school board, I think, just fluctuates to and fro depending on the n- numbers at the time. Yes, I, I, do, I do believe that this year they are once again bringing up the issue of bringing intelligent design back into the science classroom. Yeah, so... Um, so, okay, so the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, uh, there is a gospel. There and, certainly is. And there's a loose cannon as well. Mm-hmm. As, yes. ca- as captain of the Australian branch, can I test you on your knowledge of the loose cannon? Oh, you can try. I mean, I have read it several times. How much I have memorised is another thing because yeah. my memory is not always the best. It could be something to do with the beer drinking and the rum. Could be, okay. I like this one from the Book of Slackers, chapter 1, uh, verse 51 to 52. Are you familiar with that one? It's I'll, not coming I'll, to mind, no. I'll read it out, dear listener. Uh, Since you have done a half-assed job, you will receive half an ass. The great pirate Solomon grabbed his ceremonial scimitar and struck his remaining donkey, cleaving it in two. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like something from the loose cannon. <laughs> so it's you guys, just so how often do you get together? You're in South Australia. How many members? In in, in South Australia, we we try to we try to get together about every two weeks or so. Really? Um, it really depends what we do and uh, where our finances are at. <laughs> Excuse me, still getting over my flu. Um, and so um, at the moment what we've been doing is uh, we've been trying for every two weeks and we just have um, basically free food for the hungry. Uh, so we uh, come along and we bring lots of food and anybody who's hungry can just come along and eat. Um, and since it was just um, International Talk Like a Pirate Day, um, mm-hmm. on Saturday we had a lovely pirate party with our pirate band. And if I'm allowed to, can I plug the band? Sure, yeah. Okay. That's um, Captain Hellfire and the Wretched Brethren. 
If anybody <laughs> loves a good hard rock and pirate band, I recommend seeing them. Captain and Captain Hellf- Captain Hellfire and the Wretched Brethren. That's the one. Great name. It's gorgeous, isn't it? So, so uh, when you said anybody who's hungry can come along, do, do, yes. do you mean anyone from the public? Did was it yep. in a park or something? Right. You... Uh, we 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 um actually um book a um local community centre that's at the university, the Flinders University of South of South Australia. Right. And they have a community centre there where um any uh, religious group basically can um book um you know some of the rooms or that sort of thing and. They're most welcoming of us there. They, they, um, I think we were the first people when they, they had a refurbishment, they reopened. We were actually the first group to come in and, and book a room. And no problem booking it in, as a religious group? Not at all. No, right. they love us there. Now, you're trying to get registered uh, well, as a benevolent as, or as a as sort a of not, association? As a, as, a not, as a not-for-profit association. Right, and having trouble. Just a little, yes. Um, I've been trying to do that since uh, 2014, and I've just put in our third amended application, so I'm still waiting to hear back on how that one will go. And, and their grounds, for, because um, it's it's not that hard normally to just get registered as an organisation. Like you're not trying to get organised, you're not trying to be registered as a religion, as we've already discussed, you just as an organisation, like any two or three people getting together could... Can do, you know, yeah. As a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a tiddlywinks association, you could just yes. get registered pretty quickly. Yes. Um, the, um, the commissioner had a problem, <laughs> uh, first of all, because I wanted to register the, the part of the um, Associations Act that I wanted to register under was a religious, educational, uh, charitable or benevolent association yes and he had a problem with that because he just he declared that we weren't a religion and then just dismissed the fact that we could be any of the other things under that particular clause yes and um he also had a problem with the name because according to uh what he said was that because the word church was in there uh some people would uh misunderstand the fact that we weren't Christians. Right. but And he said specifically Christians. Yes. Right. Notwithstanding, there's all sorts of other churches around that are non-Christian. I know. Right. Wow. Is, is yeah. he a particularly uh, religious character? The, 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 I'm not, the, that I'm, not that I'm aware of. I mean, right. he may be. Right. But, the, you know, I, I really don't know. Because you'd clearly fall under just a benevolent organisation because you of the think. work you did feeding, you know, whoever rocks up to your little yes. community events. Yeah. Yes, and educational too because we're always telling people about things. Yes, yeah. So um, so you're studying law? <clears throat> I'm studying many things. Um, right. I'm, I'm actually, I have a Bachelor of Archaeology. Right. So I'm presently doing a master's degree in archaeology and cultural heritage management. Right. And also um, on the side from that, I'm also doing a yeah, Bachelor of Law and Legal Practice. Just part-time, right. it's just a hobby. Right, okay. With no plans to practice necessarily as a no, lawyer. No, I just find this sort of thing fascinating. 
Right. Yeah, because great experience for you to be running these sorts of appeals and things like that. Well, absolutely. I've, I've learned so much more by actually going into court myself than I've learned in my law degree so far. I bet. Sorry, lenders, law degree people. Um, but, well, yeah, the, the, the practical is so much more interesting than, you know, the theory of just reading through the law books. And, you know, a lot of lawyers go through life never appearing in court other than on their admission day. So you're, exactly. up, you're up on a lot of them. Yeah. I am. I am. Yeah. And I've got a funny hat too. Do you wear the hat in court? I haven't. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else about the church? Or the, oh, uh, how does somebody join? Like, does it cost money? How do you join? Is there a well, website? Basically, if... If you feel that you're a pastafarian, yes. then you're a pastafarian. If you identify um, as a pastafarian, yeah. you know it's, it's like it's, it's like you know people. You know, if you, if you think you're a Christian, then you're a Christian. You don't have to go sign up for it. But yes. we do offer a service if people would like to have a certificate issued in their name. Uh, they can just go up to our website, and it's just a three dollar processing fee, and then we'll make a certificate for them saying that they are a member of right. the congregation. Yeah. So when you said before that, you know, depending on funds as to whether you, um, you know, putting on events and things, so where does the funds, where do the funds the, come from? The $3, the $3 um, processing fee for the membership certificates, yes. Right, right. Good on you. Been to any overseas conferences of Pastafarians? Uh, no, but I did go and represent the uh, Pastafarians at um, the last two Australian Humanist Convention. There was one up in Brisbane and one in Melbourne this year. Oh, okay. So you went to those. There. Mm-hmm. Right. And are you going to the Atheist Convention in Melbourne? Hopefully. Right. Yeah, that next April, yes. Right. Very good. Well, um, that's the that's the lowdown on Pastafarians in Australia. I thought what we could do, Tanya, is just sort of run through some of the normal current affairs topics that I run through in a podcast, and you can just chip in with your two yeah, cents I worth. Chip in if I know anything about them. Well, you know, so I'm... Sh- I've got no doubt you'll have opinions on lots of things. So, uh, and of course, you know the main one to kick off with, uh, dear listener. Uh, you know the paperwork's gone out. I've received mine in the mail for uh, voting on the plebiscite of marriage equality. And news item here: uh, a Victorian church refused to marry a young couple and cancelled their wedding plans because the bride-to-be expressed support for same-sex marriage on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So this 26-year-old bride, 25-year-old groom, they were going to be married at their Presbyterian church in Ballarat by Minister Stephen North, and he's become aware of the Facebook post, called them in and said, the wedding's off. Ooh, uh, yes. And he said that... Um, after the premarital counselling that you attended and the sermons delivered at Ebenezer on this subject, you must surely appreciate that your commitment to same-sex marriage opposes the teachings of Jesus Christ and the scriptural position practised by the Presbyterian Church of Australia and by me, he wrote. Tanya, what do you reckon? What do I think of his decision? Yeah. I think that he should have every right to allow whatever marriages he sees fit in his uh, place of worship, mm-hmm. quite honestly. And it's his choice on whether he wants to 
allow people to get married in his church or not because it's his church. Mm -hmm. Based Uh, on freedom of religion sort of uh, rationale. Exactly. But that should only apply to his place of religion. I don't think those um, kinds of exemptions should be extended to religious schools, religious hospitals, or other um, areas where they're supposed to be serving the general public. It should just be their place of worship. I've got a theory on this. See if I can sway your mind. Um, Mm -hmm. So I see um, priests and clergy um, as performing a function of government that's been outsourced to them, as in performing a marriage ceremony. So we, as a society, have said that we have a particularly important uh, ceremony and we record it in a civil register as to who's married and who's not because various rights and privileges associate with it. And I think as a society that we can say to people, if you want to uh, participate in our legal uh, marriage um, process and you want to be one of our subcontractors doing the work of what would normally happen in the registry office, then you've got to be prepared to marry all comers if you're going to take on this government function. And if you can't do that, then you can perform your own religious ceremony, but it won't have any legal effect. Because in uh, places in Europe, for example, it's quite common, I think, in Italy and places like that, that you, in fact, go for a civil ceremony in a registry, uh, or not really so much of a ceremony, I don't think, but, you know, get your paperwork done with the government, and then as a separate issue, you have your uh, religious ceremony. And I reckon we should be saying to these religious groups, if you can't guarantee to marry any and all comers, then we're not going to delegate this important function to you. I would agree with you if people didn't have the option of having civil celebrants. But because Mm -hmm. people have the option of choosing which um, celebrant they get to marry them, whether it's a civil celebrant or a religious one, then I think then uh, the um, religious celebrant also should have the right to decide who they're going to marry. So if there's choice available... Yeah then people can do what they like. Pretty much. So I, if, if I'm running a shop... various reasons. And... I mean, one of my reasons is um, that if the religious people want to be overtly discriminatory, yes. then everybody should know. Yes. So I've got, you know, there's two shops then in town, you know. Um, I don't want to use the cake example just yet, but let's just say... <laughs> Let's just say they sell motorbikes. Mm-hmm. And one m- motorbike place says, I just don't serve black people. Mm-hmm. And another one says, well, you know, I'll serve anybody. Do we say to the first one, it's okay not to serve black people because there's a choice available and people can go and buy a motorbike from the other shop? I think that it should be highly publicised that they won't. Yeah, but because then it would be I okay. Think, I, think, I think the pressure of public opinion upon the motorcycle shop that will not send uh, sell anything to somebody who's black 
is going to be so overwhelming that they won't get any business. But you would you would actually you would actually say to somebody it's okay to discriminate on that basis. I would rather people brought their discriminatory uh, comments, behaviours, etc., straight out into the public realm. Yes. So that we all know what sort of people they are. I would too. But I also yep. think um, we can say to people that, uh, you know, if you want to run a shop, then there's certain laws that we require you to undertake. Like you need a fire inspection. You know, it's not, it's not open to you to decide whether you have a fire inspection or not. We're telling you you've got to have one. Yes. And well, that's a public safety if, issue. If you're going to pay somebody, we're going to say here's the minimum wage you've got to pay them. Mm-hmm. And you know, if there's any food involved, here's some health regulations you've got to follow. So we can say to people, "This is how you are going to conduct your business." Oh yes, yes. So we I... should be able to say to people, you know what? If black people walk in the door, you got to serve them. If you don't like that, don't have a shot. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you to an extent, but I also think you know, at the same time, I'm quite strongly in favour of. If we all know who the people who are discriminatory are, yes. then nobody's going to go to their shop anyway, so they're not going to have a shop anymore. Yeah. Somebody who's far more tolerant is going to come along. But yes. at the same time as I say all that, I do think Australia just needs a basic bill of rights. Right. Rather than all these different laws that cover different things. Yeah. Basic bill of rights that we had to follow, then we wouldn't need all these weird little laws that change everything. So you've struck – well, you are then in the um, Frank Brennan school of thought. Have you ever heard of Frank well, Brennan? I have. You? You have? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with Frank Brennan. I probably don't know all of his thoughts on all issues, but I'm familiar with him, yes. So he's a Jesuit priest. And, I know. Um, and he has advocated recently that Australia needs a Bill of Rights. Mm. And I think a Bill of Rights is incredibly dangerous, Tanya. It could be. Because, you know, well, people could say under a Bill of Rights that they have these religious freedoms, yet other people say, well, there should be a right not to be discriminated against. So, you know, you have a a conflict of what people think are rights, where you've got one people asserting a right and another person asserting a right. It would be. And, it would need to be very, very carefully drafted. I mean, yeah. I've recently I've been looking at the uh, Canadian Charter. Mm, yes. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Uh, uh, in some ways, I am. Yes. Yeah, but that, that, I mean, that seems to be a very nicely crafted. Um, yeah. Well, basically, it's a Bill of Rights for the, the Canadians. Yes. So my fear is that a Bill of Rights could actually enable religious groups to get away with more than they get away with already. Like, it's quite possible. Mm, I doubt it because um, a person's religious freedom also um, includes a person's um, freedom to be non-religious. So one group can't infringe upon the rights of another person under that sort of situation. Yes. I know, it's, I know it's a lovely balancing act that you've got to get going there. It's a dangerous one because what you're doing then is you're putting it in the hands of judges to decide these things and they can make some really bad decisions at times. So, I mean, if it, was, if it was a Constitution of Bill of Rights, then it would always go to the High Court. And, of course, the makeup of the High Court does depend on the government that managed to appoint the people. Yes. 
time. Okay, well, we're going to have to. We've, we've disagreed on two items so far, so that's good. You're in the. We have a. I have a guy on the program called the Twelfth Man, and you've you're definitely on the Twelfth Man's side when it comes to um, shopkeepers and their ability to uh, deny service if they wish, hoping that. Um, yeah, the repercussions. Yes. Yes, will come into play. Um, uh, Malcolm Turnbull, does he disappoint you? Or I, I guess he probably doesn't because uh, I, I, I was, was going to say I, I don't think he's ever really made me happy. Right, because <laughs> he came out, dear listener, in relation to the uh, priest that I was talking about beforehand, who had denied a couple uh, their wedding ceremony because of the Facebook post and. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull came out and said, uh, churches are free to marry whoever they like, you know. So that's part of religious freedom. Um, Generally, we have sort of a a crazy American sort of topics come up in the podcast, Tanya. Right. I I don't know if you saw this one, but with the the hurricanes in Florida. uh, Yes. Local sheriff had to issue a tweet advising people uh this is from pasco sheriff uh let me see the pasco county sheriff said in a tweet to clarify do not shoot weapons at hurricane irma you won't make it turn around and it will have very dangerous side effects Mm -hmm. yes um that's a terrible indictment upon the education system Mm. The warning came as more than 27,000 people on Facebook said they would attend an event called Shoot at Hurricane Irma, while 54,000 expressed interest. Quote, let's show Irma that we shoot first, reads the description of the group. It was started by a (laughs) 22-year-old. He, like the Pastafarians, just started it as a joke, but it just got out of hand. Yeah, I mean, everybody who said that they were going to go may or they may have been kidding. Maybe mm, we can only hope. Yeah, I saw pictures of uh, again on Facebook. I think maybe people were joking, but they had their fans out blowing them against the hurricane. Yes, so yes, I saw that. I, th- yeah. I think all of those people were just taking the opportunity to have a good laugh. At, I mean, that that hurricane was coming anyway. So if you can have a good laugh about it, then why not? What do you think? I've got a – do you follow uh, Rugby Union or Rugby League or any of the football codes? Okay. There's a famous footballer called Israel Folau, plays for Australia. I believe you. And he came out with a tweet, because this is how we communicate in this day and age. Um, His tweet was, I love and respect all people for who they are and their opinions, he wrote. But personally, I will not support gay marriage. So the famous footballer right. objecting to gay marriage. What do you think um, about different organisations like Qantas and football codes and other companies and people like that coming out with you know opinions as to whether same-sex marriage should happen or not? Well, I mean, on any social issue, I think that they should be free to state what they uh, believe. Because, you know, once again, you know, 
I mean, we, we live in a, you know, consumerist society. If enough people disagree with the stance of that company, people won't buy their products anymore, won't use their services. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit tricky, though, isn't it? I mean, to, I, to, to are, are, of... you, are you familiar with, um, uh, with Cooper's Brewery? Yes. When they attempt to put the uh, biblical verses on the beer? Is that what they did try to do, did they? Trying to put yes. print them on the beer, right. On on the cans of beer. Uh yeah. you know, these these special uh cans of beer. Mm-hmm. The backlash from the public was so great that they changed their mind. Mm. I wasn't aware until that point that Cooper's was owned by a very religious family. Yeah. It all came yeah, I, I, I love Cooper's beer. I, I won't deny I absolutely love Cooper's beer. But the people that brew this beer, I don't mind whatsoever what their personal religious beliefs are. Mm. But I don't want Bible verses on my beer. Mm. I try not to buy it now, now that I know that, if I've got a choice. But... Well, they did, they did change them. They changed their stance completely, saying, no, that was mm. wrong. We shouldn't have uh, tried to enforce Bible verses onto the beer of our consumers. Mm. In that particular case, though, I think that's pretty much a privately owned business. It is. Owned by a, a family. Uh, family. Yeah. So yes, well, it's sort of possible for, in that case, a company to state a position. Well, Thinking about Qantas and Alan Joyce, um, to say that uh, you know Qantas comes out with this position is a bit tricky, I reckon, when... How would he know what all of the shareholders of Qantas think on a particular issue or all of the staff or all of the management it's... for that matter? I, I find it risky and presumptuous for people to say what a whole group of people think about something. And right. that's kind so of what he's you doing. You could apply the, exactly that same log- uh, set of logic to a politician. Yes, but they would have a democratic process to have policies that get voted on, and you can not say the people, not the people that elected them. Well, uh, true, but when a politician says, uh, well, depending what he's saying, but if he says the party policy is X Y Z, then that is the party policy. So, and and I think I think at times they would say also. Not everybody agrees with it, but that's what our policy is, and that's what our that's what we will go to the election for at the next election. So sometimes they won't even pretend that they've got unanimous support for a position, but they've probably got more grounds to say it than a you know but, an airline which has never polled any of its employees or shareholders or stakeholders. I'm not seeing a terrible amount of difference on a way a politician in the House of Representatives votes on a piece of legislation yes. to what the CEO of Qantas says is the company's stance on a particular social issue. Yes, but At both points in time, you have divorced the person who is saying that or making up a decision from the rest of the uh, people. In the case of Qantas, it's the shareholders and the managers and all those people. In the case of a politician, it's all the people that voted for them. I think there's a there's a direct equi- uh, equivalence between those two things. So, 
I think Alan Joyce, for example, is saying that Qantas stands for this. What's what's the politician's equivalent that you're saying? That you, that, you know, people, they may have elected a politician on their stance on the environment, but they have to vote upon all kinds of different issues, including marriage quality, if this bill ever comes ahead. Uh, so the people who voted for that, that politician in, they didn't vote for them on the way they were going to vote for this particular issue. And yes, but- I'm sure that... Um, you know, as the CEO of Qantas, I'm sure that he probably did get some quite good feedback from the rest of the leaders of the company before he decided to go ahead and put forward that stance. Yes, but the politician doesn't necessarily say, I speak on behalf of all 20,000 of no, they my do. electorate. Well, all, they don't necessarily say, uh, the electorate of Ryan believes this. Oh, they say the majority Mm. of the election would Mm. believe that. Okay, well, here's another example then. Uh, Mm. Did you hear about the Bark petition uh, that the Aboriginal... Right. So that was uh, where... Interesting. About 30 different, you know, elders representing... How many? About 30? I thought it was about 26. Oh, sorry. I don't know. Okay, close enough. Came out and said, you know, we of the such-and-such peoples, you know, are against marriage equality, you know, changing the definition of marriage. And I, at the time, on the podcast said, well, here's a classic example of people purporting to speak on behalf of another group of people, but they don't necessarily have any authority to do so. Well, they they, yeah, they they weren't appointed leaders. No, self-appointed. Yes. Which... Is, is often the case in these things, isn't it, with ethnic groups? Um, uh, and, and with pastatharians. Well, self-appointed, yes, indeed. Yes. Self-appointed leader of the pastatharians, indeed. Exactly. I guess my point is I, uh, uh, I'm not going to sway you, I can tell, on this issue either, but when it comes to leaders of organisations mm. uh purporting to speak on behalf of their entire membership yes, without having taken a very thorough poll and without qualifying that perhaps there are dissenters in the ranks, it's mm. a dangerous position to hold. It most certainly is. And mm. I, I, can, I can also say, as you know, from my experience as being leader of this organisation, that from purely an operational you know, managerial point of view, You can't do that with every single issue. Mm. Sometimes you just have to go from, you know, what other, um, you know, or in our case, the basic beliefs that we hold, and you have to extrapolate from those basic beliefs that we hold what our position would be on a particular issue because to try and go to, you know, all of our members, you know, get them all to, you know, at least in some kind of majority agree to have position on something is just a good nightmare yes i mean would your membership be um mostly um uh socialist in the economic viewpoint or neoliberal i honestly couldn't tell you to be honest yeah yep yeah no i yeah i couldn't really tell you to be honest yeah 
So that's why I reckon Alan Joyce wouldn't know whether his stakeholders were in favour of same-sex marriage or not because it's so divorced from the key but, I mean, he, function he of the group. Although he, he has a certain responsibility, you know, especially a legal responsibility to his stakeholders, yeah. he also has a social responsibility to his customers because yes. without customers you don't have a business. Yes. Look, it's good marketing by him. Uh, on that score alone, you could say, you know, you know, I let's say I agree with him, like, you know, in the sense that uh, it's a good position to have and it's good marketing. But anyway, I've said all my piece on that one. Mm. Just back to the Uluru Bark petition. Yes. Uh, dear list, uh, regular listeners will recall when I spoke about this, there were two particular elders who seemed to be leading this petition. And I said at the time that the first thing I did was Google their name and the word religion because I was hoping to find that they were some sort of religious uh, evangelicals of some sort and couldn't find anything at the time, which disappointed me. But in this recent article that I'll link to in the show notes, it seems that there was a character called Pastor Peter Walker who was one of the motivating people behind the Bark Petition and he is an evangelical uh, nutbag. And he organised a petition in 2012 which said, um, at which time he said, I'm convinced that homosexuals reproduce themselves by molesting children. So that's the sort of character he was behind the Bark yep. Petition. Explain the Bark Petition. Yeah. Often with these things we find that if we... Somebody comes out with a... F- funny conservative position if you just scratch the surface you'll mm. find some sort of yes. uh, religious motivation underneath yes yes i've started not too often mm, so what i've started tanya on the website is a register uh of a, a secular index is what i'm calling it where we're going through the federal politicians and um writing down if they've declared themselves to be um, a follower of any particular religion and then looking for evidence of uh, secular, either pro or anti-secular statements. So, Mm. um, and then giving them a rating out of 10. That's a very interesting thing to do. So so people, hopefully, as time goes by, will be able to look at their local federal member and go, oh, Joe Bloggs. Uh, Christian Pentecostal and a little brief blurb about what he or she has said and um, and help people out as to whether they're members secular or not. Hmm. Awesome. Well, that, that sounds like a worthy cause. Very good. And I'm hoping over time we'll be able to add up the index and be able to say, okay, you know, in the Parliament of 2017, uh, you know, the average index for... You know, the National Party was X and the average index for the Labor Party was Y. And then when we come to the following election, we'll be able to compare them and see whether they've become less or more secular Right. the index. That's mm-hmm. part of the idea. Yeah. Dear listeners, uh, come on, guys, start sending them through a bit more because you've been a bit slack and promises have been made and I'm still waiting on a few more. So... Any Pastafarians listening who like the idea, hop onto the website, Iron Fist Velvet Glove, and uh, shoot me an email with just some names, a couple of links, your suggested score, 
uh, zero for being uh, uh, not secular and uh, a 10 for being very pro-secular. And it doesn't, you know, you could be religious but still quite secular. So the Andrews government in Victoria, it seems to me, that Daniel Andrews is a relatively religious guy himself with some firm Christian beliefs, but definitely passing some very secular programs down there. So, yes. so yeah, so it's not necessarily um, saying that uh, anyone who's religious scores badly on the secular scale. Um, let me just see. Um, Oh, got any views on the hijab at all, Tanya? Um, only that people should be able to wear whatever they want, but mm. if they are going to give religious exemptions for certain pieces of clothing when it comes to um, along the lines of if you're wearing, um, say you're just wearing a baseball cap and you want to get your driver's licence, they'll make you take the, your baseball cap off. Mm-hmm. They won't make a person take off their hijab. Yep. But, you know, at the same time, everybody should be able to wear their baseball cap for their photo. Yep. Everybody should be able to wear a hijab if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, what about a burqa or a niqab? I'm slightly different on those because I know that from both a social interaction point of view and from, you know, if you're working in a bank, you don't want somebody coming in that you can't easily identify, um, that that sort of thing should probably not be allowed. There you go. You're in agreement with myself on that one and also, believe it or not, with George Christensen of the National Party. So Everybody agrees with somebody on some issue. Indeed. It happens. uh, The Nationals had a... um, some sort of national federal conference conference on Sunday. This is back in early September. And he put forward a motion uh, that people should be um, banned from wearing the burqa and the niqab in public buildings, uh, in government buildings and public spaces. And he was narrowly defeated, 55 to 51 on that score. So did not become part of the law. Um, well, I just want to, uh, got any views on identity politics in general? Are you aware of, uh, is, it, is that something that grabs you or not, Tanya, or it's not uh, high on your radar? It's not high on my radar. I mean, I know it's a thing. Right. Uh, but at the moment, it's not something that's really, um, you know, come to the fore um, in past variantism, et cetera. So... I haven't really taken as much of an interest in it as I probably, you know, may have an interest in it. All right. I won't launch into my normal spiel of um, of identity politics. Um, I'll say that for next week because um, I'll just go on and on about that. Um, well, I reckon we've just about nearly come up to an hour, Tanya. It's been great awesome. to um, talk to you. and I've enjoyed it. Yes. Good luck with, your, um, with what you're doing down there. Thank and you very much. Um, uh, can I plug my website? Yes, please. Okay, my website is pastafarians.org.au. Yep. So if anybody wants to know more, they can uh, just pop onto there. And we're also on Facebook as well under Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster Australia. Yep. 
But you've got a member in Brisbane, I don't know if you know all your members, Joe, I don't want to give his last name, but he's um, he's probably fairly active. Does he sound familiar, a guy called Joe from Brisbane? I know some people called Joe in Brisbane. Right. There's more than one Joe in Brisbane. Okay. He's a friend of the show and was a member is a member of the secular party and he's he's oh i know always, the joe you're talking about hi joe yes i know joe joe's always banging on about the pastafarians in any meetings so he's one oh, of your, yes yes uh, he's one of your advocates great uh, mm-hmm. guy true very good now just uh hold on uh don't go away and uh dear listener thank you for tuning into this um unusual episode and i'll be back with either the 12th man or scott or somebody next week Um, Bye for now. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks. Thanks.